Good morning. Again, I guess. <laughs> I love the way that Peter and now Jude uses the word beloved as they close their letters. Jude says it twice here in verse 17 and verse 20 because that's what they were to these men. They repeated that phrase because they meant it. Both men grounded their final exhortations in the fact that the people to whom they were writing belonged intimately to God himself. And as that, as beloved, they urged them. Because if we forget who we are, we won't stand. The weight of the world is too much. The desires of the flesh are too strong. The devices of the evil one are too intricate. What can pilgrims do? The point of this series was to give hope to pilgrims, beloved pilgrims. That's what you are to God, Moundsville Baptist Church. We, in First Peter, entrust our souls to a faithful creator while doing good because our shepherd won't leave us. In Second Peter, we remembered and recalled the truth of the gospel that has been proclaimed to us. And as we close out this series through First and Second Peter and now Jude, we remember the calling to contend for the faith, our faith, and the one who will not let us go. We're called to build ourselves up in it. So the purity and clarity of the gospel has to be fought for, that we might stand, that our church might stand. Jude transitions now from identifying the people in their midst who are perverting the gospel by their selfish desires as ripe for judgment to the exhortation for which he wrote his letter in the first place. Contending for the faith is a battle that is fought on two fronts. Without, yes, but also within. There's something to mind inside our own souls and there's a calling for the sake of others. Our endurance is a community project, beloved. But our God is great. His mercy endures forever and He will keep us from stumbling. All who believe, without exception, because He means to see His beloved face to face for His glory and for our eternal joy. Jude encouraged the believers with the keeping power of God so that His mercy would enable them to focus completely on building up their own faith while showing that same mercy to those in need. And we, you and I, are kept by the power and mercy of God as we contend for the faith. So if you're able, would you please stand with me this morning? We'll read Jude 17 through 25. <clears throat> but you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people, devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Now to Him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of His glory with great joy, to the only God our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, 
dominion and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father, the one who is able to keep us from stumbling and to present us blameless before the presence of your glory, with great joy would you enable us to hear your word this morning. Would you abide with us, God, as we listen, and would you protect us from our own selfish and conflicted and troubled hearts? Would you lift up our souls this morning with your mercy and with your promise? Would you watch over me that I might preach your word and not my own? Father, would you help us all to listen and to believe? And God, would you make the name of Jesus great in our midst? I ask this all in that very name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. You and I must also remember what the apostles once predicted for the sake of these believers, that in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. This is the source of division in the church in verse 19. There it is. That's what's going on when there's division. Worldly people who do not have the Holy Spirit stir the pot. We don't tend to agree with God on just how depraved we are apart from His saving mercy. We don't have often an accurate assessment of our own condition. That we're wicked things by nature. We're worldly things by nature. Slaves to our own desires. Ruled by our passions. And there will always be people apparently in the church who claim to be one of us while hiding the fact that they've never received a new nature. They're they're still ruled by exactly the same desires and preferences and opinions and feelings as they were before for whatever reason they decided it was advantageous to claim to know Jesus Christ. When we set up our churches to accommodate the natural tendencies of the flesh for power and preference, we open ourselves up to become a breeding ground for those that pervert the gospel through their worldly desires. Look back at verse 16. Those those kinds of people will always push and pull for advantages and a place of influence and a place of control. But Jude says to the believers, but you, you you see that, that's how 17 starts, but you, you fight against that by remembering that there will be scoffers of the truth who follow their own ungodly passions. You have to be ready for that. You have to expect that. We should set ourselves up to defend against that, not to give people like that a place to carry out their own agendas. Why? Because it is divisive. They cause division. And, and nothing is more cancerous to the church than division. Nothing. That's how Jews' audience forgot the things they once knew in verse 5, most likely. They, they got bogged down trying to manage the fallout of divisive people. They got distracted and bogged down by nothings that people thought were somethings. And when you talk to people, you, you really begin to talk to people that have, that have maybe gone to church and then quit going, or you know, which there are a variety of reasons for that, or you talk to people that are still in the church to some degree, it's tragic that the, the closer a person gets to knowing or being a part of the inner workings of a church, of being a part of the politics, the less they want to do with the church, the more burdensome a church is to them. Because at that level, it isn't a church anymore. It's a different kind of organization run by cutthroat tactics and manipulation and bureaucracy. 
And if they'll know us by our love, no wonder then we can't reach our communities. We tend to think that that's a marketing problem or a technique problem. So that's what we try to tweak to bring more people in. And I wouldn't say we don't want to do that badly. We don't want to market, if you will, badly or any of those things. But the love of Jesus in the gospel being the only thing that held a people together would affect a community even if a church wasn't on the cutting edge of those kinds of things. Jesus has told us that. Divisiveness is what makes us smell like the world. Divisiveness is what makes us unappealing. That's what turns people away because that's nothing different from what they face in every facet of their own lives. So division can't be tolerated. It destroys everybody. I mean, it it, it should only happen when the most fundamental truth of the gospel is at stake. Puts Division puts a level of wear and tear on our souls. That kind of stuff can go on for years. Just that nagging sense of standoffishness and division and bad feelings. and That can just fester and fester and fester. None of us are strong enough to deal with that over the long haul. Jesus' yoke is easy and His burden is light. How is it that church can make us so tired? Because it's often not being led by the Spirit, but by the agendas of divisive people. Unless we think that's an extreme view, look at how the text addresses this very thing. Eyes wide open, look at verse 20, but you. And again, he uses that phrase twice here, here and in verse 17, to emphasize the contrast between divisive people and the church. So whatever comes after but you in verse 20 is the antithesis of verse 19. There are worldly people devoid of the Spirit who cause divisions. But you, beloved, right? you, you see that, but you, true church, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit. So while the worldly and ungodly are scoffing and scheming, what are the beloved of God doing? Because this is how you contend for the faith on the first front, within. You mind your own faith. First and foremost in verse 20. We build up our faith and let go of the things that will tear it down. We get in the Word and we pray. And we focus on what God has accomplished for us through Jesus Christ and the Gospel. What He has promised to us. We contend for the centrality of the faith in our own hearts. Whereas Peter told us, the passions of our flesh will be doing their own contending. For unbelief in the Gospel so that we'll get back to doing the things that gratify the flesh. But the faith through which we believed on Jesus is the gift of God, of His grace, and it is holy. It's worth focusing on those things that will build us up in the faith rather than cause us to forget it. The church must think in terms of actively contending for the faith of its people so that Christ in the Gospel is always front and center. The church has to be deliberate about this. It can't be assumed. It cannot be assumed. So the preacher needs to be preaching Christ crucified every time we gather. The music needs to be focused on Christ crucified every time the hymnals open or the lyrics go up on the screen or the choir sings. The classes need to be teaching Christ crucified rather than moralism every time Sunday school rolls around. We need to be in the Word and on our knees 
praying in the Holy Spirit, connecting with heaven by the means of the one God calls the Comforter. That's how we keep ourselves in the love of God rather than subjecting ourselves to the love of the world. Because we wait. We're waiting people again in verse 21. Our hope is in the future. The substance of what we are hoping for to give us life hasn't yet appeared to us. We should not be surprised, beloved. We should not be surprised that we're never fully satisfied here. We should never be surprised that life just doesn't seem to work out the way we strategize so hard to make it work. That shouldn't throw us off. It shouldn't surprise us. This isn't home. Worldliness in this context then is to be so focused on this world to satisfy us that we lose sight of the only thing that can. And what's amazing is that that's what's at stake. Our faith, that's what's at stake in the unity of the church. It's what Jude is putting together here. We contend for the place of the gospel first and foremost in our own hearts. And to the degree that we depend on anything in this world, including the direction of our church to give us life, we've traded hope in heaven for hope on earth. That's how worldliness makes us divisive. When we crave what cannot satisfy, convinced that it will, causes us to divide over things that don't matter because we're fooled into thinking that they do. Right? That's, that's how we think. That this, right? Whatever it is, this has to go my way. What I want has to be accomplished. This has to get done. I have to get what I want. Why? Because we get our lives from it. If it doesn't go our way, if things don't work out the way we want them to, then our Savior, whatever that thing was, has failed us And it deepens our frustration. It deepens our frustration and we become divisive. Our whole Christian identity starts to get wrapped up in the church going the direction we want it to go. If it doesn't do that, we're lost. We don't know what to do. Beloved, God is building His house. I promise. Jesus is building His church. I promise. My promises don't mean anything. Do you know why I would say I promise? Because they promise that. God and His Son promise that. That is what they are going to do. It's not dependent on whether or not we get to contribute. Right? It, it's going to get done. It, again, the shalls and the wills of the Bible matter. When you see that word, you know this isn't something God would like to be able to pull off. God is going to do this. So nobody owns shares in the church. Nobody owns something that God is not selling. Right? The church isn't a publicly traded company. There are no proxy packets that come from heaven every year when there's like a board of directors meeting up there and they decide, let's, let's see, let's see what the shareholders want to do. No, that's worldliness. The devil made us think worldliness had to do with like dancing and music. Worldliness means the person looking in the mirror at me every morning has the DNA of Adam in there. So focus on the gospel. Build yourself up in the truth that saves you, not in the desires that rule you. Don't feed those things. And wait, right? Wait. Life is coming. 
the mercy that is promised to save us has appeared and will appear again in Jesus Christ. Remember what you've been told. Remember what God has promised. That's our only personal defense against worldliness. The faith we're contending for to continue to believe that that is enough. And watch how Jude ties this to the church in 22 and 23. He says, and have mercy on those who doubt. So now contending becomes outward, right? It's within, it's without. Have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Now, all around us, right now, in this church, in this moment, this Sunday morning, people, and maybe even it's us, are plagued by doubt right now. Consider one another, beloved. Consider one another. Consider what others are going through and how divisive worldliness can impact our brothers and sisters in the faith. Because it does. Do we all understand that? That how often people are walking in these doors Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday nights, literally maybe on their last leg. Right? Where is the compassion, the other-centeredness that gets us out of our self-absorption with our agendas and desires and plans long enough to consider someone else more important than ourselves? Have mercy on those who doubt. And save others by snatching them out of the fire. So beloved, there are people this morning in this room ripe for God's judgment. Right? In our, in our church, some are caught up. Some are overcome by their flesh. So you see what Jude is doing? What do we expend our energy on then? What do we contend for? To others still show mercy without fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. You see that? To others still. That's how much need there is. These three commands just build on each other until Jude gets to the point where he is saying, our flesh is so dangerous to us all of the time, we're in so much need of mercy, that we should even hate our clothes, because even our clothes reek of the world. We're in a predicament. Our flesh is not going to stop fighting. We cannot afford to get sidetracked. Agendas aren't at stake. Eternal life is at stake. Because this is not a mandate here. This is not a mandate about what clothes we're allowed to wear. Do we see that? Notice the text. Notice the words. The point is that our flesh stains the clothes. Not that our clothes stain the flesh. The problem is not out there. It's right here. Our Lord Jesus said, there's nothing that goes into a man that defiles him. Well, that's a game changer if we're going to believe that. There's nothing that goes into a man that defiles him. It's what comes out. And yet our rules generally focus on what goes in because we don't believe Jesus. No, 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 Jesus, I know you think that, but we got to control people here. Or they won't know what to do. So I appreciate what you say, Son of God, sustainer of the whole universe, but you just, you don't know how people are. No. 
that's why the Gospels tell us so often that Jesus knew what was in man. That's why Jesus talked the way Jesus talked. You don't think Jesus doesn't know that that's risky to say? It doesn't matter if it's risky to say. It's true. God said. It's not what goes into a man that defiles him. Nothing that goes into a man defiles him. God made these things. We defile them. We neglect the heart with our rules. We neglect the command of verse 20 to build ourselves up in our most holy faith. We try to clean the outside of the cup. Beloved, that is worldliness. That's what worldliness is. Jesus said the Pharisees were like that. They tried to clean the outside of the cup because they were from below. That's what worldly people do. He was from above. Everything here is stained by our flesh. Everything here is subject to stain. So we build ourselves up in our faith. We don't listen to ourselves. We talk to ourselves. We pray in the Spirit. Keep ourselves in the love of God. Wait for Jesus to appear. Have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. Show mercy with fear. Hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Do you feel all that? Do you feel that? The, it's like one concussive blow after another. Doesn't Jude know we all have our own issues? I mean, keep yourselves in the love of God. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I have to keep myself in the love of God? I mean, who here as they really look at that are comforted by that? Jude is heavy. But the mercy of Jesus, beloved, is heavier. What's the first thing Jude told these saints in verse 1? To those who are called, beloved of God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. So you were told you were kept long before you were told to keep. And it's only because we are kept that we're even called to keep. I love my wife so much. We had such a nice time together the other night on Valentine's Day. I planned a little poorly, so we ended up at Quaker Steak and Lube. Yep. <laughs> Every single day, I'm overwhelmed by how beautiful she becomes. I, I, I really am. So if you told me, if you came to me and said, keep yourself in her love, I would hug you. That wouldn't be a burden to me. That doesn't sound too hard. Doesn't sound too bad. At first sight, the command appears burdensome, doesn't it? It does. Keep yourselves in the love of God. It feels like, okay, so God has done His part, but I have to do my part. Context is everything. Those kept by love, it's, it's those kept by love already that have been called to keep themselves in His love. That's a command to stay focused 
on the love of God in Christ Jesus for you in the gospel. That's what it is. Don't forget it. Don't move from it. Don't take it for granted. Right? The, the, the minute we assume the gospel, we've lost it. it, it it's not, the, the gospel is not for putting in a trophy case so that we can get down to the real business of being the church. The gospel is the business of being the church. Don't lose sight of the gospel for the sake of ungodly passions in verse 18. Divisions in the church are driven by people who follow their own ungodly passions rather than the Word of God that has once and for all been delivered to the saints. And the passions that fuel division are not godly, no matter what their appearance might be. So we can't let divisive passions run the church. They'll tear down the people inside of it. They'll damage the faith of the people inside of it. That's what was happening here. They, they, they were so caught up trying to manage forest fires that they forgot they were on fire. That the flesh is burning. Verse 5, verse 17. They forgot the bulk of the energy in the church has to be spent here on fueling our souls with the gospel, not on fueling fleshly desires. But here's the beauty this morning. Even as we consider these difficult truths, the beauty is doxology. Look where Jude goes. Now to him in verse 24. Who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of His glory with great joy. Did you know that? Jesus is able to present you blameless. You know you are ever going to achieve that, did you? Blameless before the presence of His glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. You hear that? Before all time and now and forever. Amen. Do you see this morning what bookends the command to keep yourself in the love of God on both sides? Have no fear. You will be kept. Verse 1, verse 24. The burdens of church can wear us down. Life can be so hard and tedious. But before all time, God set His foreknowing love on you, believer. And now, even now, as we sit here in the throes of the world, our flesh and the devil, He is keeping. He is there and forever you will be His. Your name is written on His hand. Jude is reflecting now on what he's just written, realizing what this common salvation he intended to write to them about really is, and he stands amazed at it. He stands amazed at it, so he bursts out in worship. Do we really understand what it takes to keep us saved? Like... John MacArthur has one of my favorite quotes of all time. If I could lose my salvation, I would. Absolutely. But I'm kept. Kept. You, you really take the time to read the Bible honestly. Who is sufficient for these things? I mean, who can pull this off? It takes the glory 
majesty, dominion, and authority of God, loving before time began, sustaining as time continues, all through the ebbs and flows of life, and remaining committed to his promises forever in order to keep us from stumbling and to present us blameless before the presence of that glory with great joy. And he will do it all. We should be absolutely stunned this morning that any of us are still Christians. Jesus Christ saves sinners. Only God could keep human beings Christians for all eternity. Only God can do that. Only He has what is needed to accomplish that. Our high priest is forever for a reason. But to Him we pray. In Him we rejoice. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, He is able to keep us from stumbling. But, not like He's capable of it, but He might not do it. That's not how Abel is working here. He's able to do that. That doesn't mean He's going to do it. Abel here is dunamis. It's power. He is mighty to do it. That's what it means when He says He's able to do it. He is mighty to keep. Jesus is mighty to save. The Father is mighty to save. He is more than capable of saving and keeping us as we contend for the faith through Jesus Christ our Lord. And that is precisely what He is going to do. It's precisely what He's going to do. So look up. Pilgrims, look up. The apostles have sighted land. The waves crashing against this ship will soon be gone. Right? You have to remember this. I have to remember this. All the things that threaten us right now, that are threatening us right now, all the powers of the world, the flesh and the devil, the stuff staining our garments even inside these walls, the body they may kill, God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. He cannot, we cannot lose sight of the faith. That's how we contend for it. That's how we agonize over it. This is what matters. We're kept by the power and mercy of God as we contend for the faith. So now to Him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of His glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Now you know You know you need to come to Jesus this morning. You know this. A church is a group of sinners who have been forgiven of their sins by Jesus Christ and given eternal life through His righteousness, made into His children, and who wait together until He appears with lives that reflect His mercy. That's what you're invited to this morning. Salvation. Come and lay your weapons down. Come with your sins. Come with your doubts. Come with your troubles. Bring those things. God lives at the end of our ropes. 
He forgives there. He washes clean there. He accepts there. Believe on Jesus for your salvation. Rest in Jesus for your faith. Believe on Jesus for your salvation. Rest in Jesus for your faith. The front is open this morning. If you want to come and pray, the front is open if you want to come and let us know you would like to join our church. The front is open. June will come and I'll be here if you need to pray. So let's close. Father, we thank you this morning for your powerful mercy. God, we thank you for your word. And so, Lord, we ask this morning that you would move amongst us. That, God, you would bring to life and cause those in need of it to be born again. Father, I pray for those that have been born again and have eternal life, but forget in the midst of this world and the flesh and the devil. Father, would you encourage them and speak life to them this morning by revealing to us the object of what our faith is in, your Son, Jesus Christ. So, Lord, be with us. Watch over our souls. Help us believe. Keep us. We ask in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.